A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. Sentience by Maggie Sawkins When I think about how I lose myself in the making of a meal, I begin to love my parents whose passing I did not mourn. Lately I've pondered on the things they taught me, the safest way of separating the yolk from the white, how to call soup by blowing into the steam, why If you put a lid on the pot, the water boils faster. I guess they loved me, their insular daughter. My orphan parents, you'll never know how I spent my childhood grieving. Maggie, where did this poem come from? Um, I think the idea came when I attended a poetry masterclass with the poet John McCulloch about five years ago. And I think the prompt was, as I remember, it was to write about acquired tastes. And then what followed was... Uh, just a piece of flow writing. So when I was thinking about where this poem came from, Mm -hmm. I actually um, looked back and found the notebook from um, the exercise. Mm. So that was quite interesting to look look back on sometimes. So um, I can read you some of the notes that I made straight away. please do. Please do. Uh, So it's... Yeah, I have learnt to love the taste of wine. I've learnt to love the taste of avocado and olives. I've learnt to love walking on my own, lying on a beach with no one there, sleeping alone. I've learnt to love country and Western music, a touch of the sentimental. Um, I've even loved to learn my insomnia. (laughs) And then it goes on, I've learnt to love my parents because they are no longer here. And I've learned to love addicts and people who have nothing. And I have learned to love cooking. So you can see there that um, the germ of the poem has um, sprouted, I guess. What a lovely way to describe it. And I th- this, thank you, Maggie, this is so fascinating. I think we rarely get to see the... the- mm of a poem or maybe the conception of a poem like this and it 
again, it, this is a little bit contrary to the myth of poetry, isn't it? That you're kind of wandering lonely as a crowd, cloud and then the, the inspiration wafts to you over the hills and you take it down and that's the sacred text that never gets altered, that you know that there's something precious about the first draft. But what I get from that is, you know, very often it comes, it's not the first thought, it's the tenth thought. It's the thought that almost slips in when you're, when you're into the rhythm. And, and suddenly that really amazing, surprising line, I've learned to love my parents mm. after all the, the other things. Yes, yeah, kind of like an epiphany that you'd hope to find in a poem, I think. I think that's, um, I think in writing a poem, you're kind of digging away until you find out what you're trying to say. I think that's how I write most of the time. But um, having said that, I think that that thought about um, uh, coming to love my parents after their death is something actually that um, I'd been thinking about for years in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing about grief, because I've kind of reached the age where a lot of my friends' parents uh, dying of old age, and I I've sometimes find myself kind of envying their grief. Mm. And um, I think that that is because, if I'm honest, um, I felt very little when my father died, and when my mum died later, you know, to be honest, I felt relief. And um, it's not something that, <laughs> you know, you feel like it's not something you should admit to, but, um, you know. So, and I guess there was a bit of uh, perplexion there about why I felt like that. And I think it's because some people you can spend a whole life there while they're alive grieving for them. Wow. And I think that's probably why I didn't grieve when they died. And I think that's because probably, well, one of the reasons could be is both my parents were, didn't have any parents of their own or, or their parents. Uh-huh. My dad was didn't know his father and then his mum put him in a children's home at a young age because she couldn't um, couldn't control him. He mm. later he was a manic depressive, and then my mum, who was Irish, her parents she never knew her mother. She died when she was about three. Then her dad died when she was eight. So, um, you know, they were like orphans, really. Both I think that's what they had in common that they they were abandoned, you know. And um, and I think for a child that has parents like that. I think you take on the burden of their unhappiness in a way. So like the title of the poem, Sentience, if you take away the I, it's like I was thinking of as well, I knew sentence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of feels feels like a sentence. So I did like that. I was very conscious of that, the other connotation of the word sentience, which is, 
the capacity to experience feelings and sensations. But I like the, you know, if you take I away, that you get sentence. And also the sentence of writing a sentence as well. Like oh, gosh. So that's... I like all the different connotations. How clever. So that that bit, I lose myself in the making in the first line. And I was thinking, you know, I lose myself in the making made me think of poetry. Because yes. I'm, I'm much more likely to lose myself in making poetry than a meal. Huh. And I was thinking about that, because obviously you've highlighted the word by making it the title. And I was, I couldn't resist looking at the etymology. Hmm. And it's from the Latin to feel, sentire. And it's related, and it's the same root as sentimental. But this is a really, really unsentimental poem, isn't it? Hmm. And you talk about being honest and admitting to these feelings. You know, is it that the poem is a place where you can be honest about things that maybe would be difficult to admit to or be honest to in other contexts? Oh, definitely. I always think um, if anyone wants to know me, just probably read my poetry. (laughs) They'll probably get to know me a lot quicker than talking to me. Um, Maybe not so much now, but in the past, and there's that reference to the the insular daughter, which insular's got not very good connotations. But I did. I like the. Um, it also means like an island, doesn't it? And a bit aloof ah. as well. Um, yeah. So I think you can. Well, I can be more honest in. I don't actually, I don't know if it's intentional. I think it's, as I said before, you just start with something and keep writing until you get to the the truth. So it's not like I'm going to write, you know, I've got a grudge or something, I'm going to write the truth. I think it's more pairing away or not so much pairing away in my case, plugging away word by word, line by line, image by image until you find out what you or maybe what the poem is trying to say. Hmm. And often that's that's like that epiphany moment, I think. And I think that's why I liked this poem, because it did kind of tell me something rather than me telling it something, <laughs> if you see what I mean. <laughs> well, it's certainly, you know, that accounts for the surprise for the reader. I think, you know, that, you know, the first stanza, I lose myself in the making and there's a line break and then have a meal, which is a bit of a surprise because we don't know what's coming next. Mm. But then you say, I begin to love line break my parents. And that is so surprising Mm. and so arresting for a reader. And it's interesting that it was, in a sense, it was, I mean, it sounds like it was something you you were kind of aware of, but it surprised you Mm. in that draft in John McCulloch's class. So where did you go from there? You got that little epiphany when you were doing that draft in the the writing exercise. What what happened next? Um, I think probably I, I, quite a lot of my poems just start with a strong first line coming into my head from who knows where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps that is a little bit of inspiration, but um, often that's what. I think that's often how I do start or continue with a poem because I think, oh, that interests me. It's a bit like a song and a hook. I've got something to go on 
So I think it was that I really liked that when I lose myself in the making, I think because that's can have and st- you could almost stop the poem there in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then I, I suppose I was thinking about things I enjoy doing and I think you can lose yourself in activities and one of the things that I enjoy doing is cooking and that I think that probably led me back also to um actually my mum was a good cook and was one of the things she did enjoy mm-hmm. um and that led me on to thinking about the different things that your parents the good things about your parents I think it's quite easy if you've not had a very happy childhood to think about all the bad things <laughs> unfortunately sure. I don't know why that is but it's, uh, but so that you know I started thinking about yeah what are the good things that my parents did you know and that was one of the good things that they did teach me things besides you know sort of cooking you know knitting riding a bike and different things and also little words of wisdom every now and again um but then again I was kind of aware like in the second stanza of the metaphorical um associations too like mm-hmm. the safest way of separating right. then that pause yeah. on the line yeah. break and of course they when they separated when I was 13 it was ter- absolutely terrible and they all the things they taught me went out the window because, you know, they just, it was very, very acrimonious and it went on for years. So that was a little bit of irony. (laughs) So, but they did, I do remember, you know, that, that lovely bit where, um, how to separate the yolk from the white by tipping the yolk into the other half of the egg cup, egg shell. Mm -hmm. So that was something they taught me. And then I also thought about, oh, yeah, and that how to call soup by blowing into the steam. That was quite, we had lots of soup when we were growing up. So that was quite, um, I liked how they combined science with cooking. <laughs> huh. Um, and also there is the metaphorical thing about why if you put a lid on the pot, the water boils faster, and that's like not letting out your emotions, which was, yeah, ties in with the insular daughter, which was something I didn't do very much. Yeah, that's... When I was younger. It's very suggestive. And it was, I was thinking about it again this morning, that the poem's called Sentience, and yet you've got this wonderfully distance and suggestive way of communicating feeling sentience through these inanimate objects that don't feel anything you know, the yolk the white the soup the lid and the pot and yet it's it's as you say it's wonderfully metaphorical for what was happening in the in the lives of those people yeah actually and i'm sort of quite interested in zen buddhism and meditation and um, mm-hmm. there's one school of thought that uh, says even stones are sentient and stones figure quite a lot in my poetry yes <laughs> yes they do yeah so that when i read that i thought oh 
well, maybe you have put your finger on that there's any truth there. <laughs> yeah. And of course, what you've given us in terms of context makes real sense of that unforgettable phrase, my orphan parents. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that phrase just kind of upturns all our sense of that relationship, doesn't it? It does, yeah, because, well, I guess sometimes my brother and myself, we felt like the parents. Yeah. yeah and I think, I don't know, it's funny about people that haven't received much love when they were children. I think maybe you, some of the things they do when they're older as parents themselves, I think, one way I've tried to understand it is to think, well, actually, they just couldn't help it. <laughs> I can't, there's a, I've sure. sort of looked for explanations for some things, and um, I don't think there are any. I just think they can't help it. Otherwise, why would people do things that aren't, um, you know, supposed to love your children, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, so. So maybe that they hadn't had that experience themselves to to follow. No, definitely not. No, yeah. my mum's always said that. She said I never heard, never was told that when I was a child. Yeah, mm. which didn't necessarily make it any easier for you when you were younger. But I think one of the things that is so moving about this poem is the sense that it's it's a poem of appreciation of, as you said, the little things that they taught you even if it wasn't the maybe the big things that you might have wanted them to to teach you more often but you've memorialized and you've appreciated those what they handed on to you yeah yeah and i suppose they've made me the person i am anyway <laughs> which is that, um philip larkin poem isn't it this be the be the verse <laughs> yes that's um, right that's right that would get us the explicit tag if we quoted that one wouldn't it <laughs> yeah and then uh but i think alan bennett um wrote an essay sort of referring to um philip larkin's poem and saying that um actually if you didn't have an unhappy childhood then you're well and truly f you know <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can say the Got word. nothing it's to go on. <laughs> it's podcast land. As long as it's aesthetically justifiable, oh, okay. we can we can say yeah. the word. Yeah. And so can you say anything about the way that the form evolved? I mean, what, what you've got as the final form is quite typical of your writing. It's just beautifully judged. There's a real delicacy and precision about the way you've laid the words out on the page. It's a fairly short poem but you know as mm. we've already seen there's an awful lot going on inside it a bit like the the pot with the lid on how, how did you get from that initial list that you were doing in john's class to what we've got here um well i had the first line and then mainly it was as i say i sort of do construct my poetry almost word by word. I'm not someone that starts with a lot and then goes back and has to edit it, edit, edit out loads of adjectives. And mm, yeah, I, I don't. I would say I don't really work 
like that. So um, it's quite, I didn't have to edit this poem that much, I don't think. I think I actually wrote it in about a week. I, I did work on it. And mainly I was looking, yeah, other poems I'd write take a lot longer. But um, I think I did sort of go about it line by line. Um, and obviously choosing the things that um, and remembering the things that they taught me. I quite like um, the list of threes, quite a good thing for writing, mm. I've learned. So I, added, I, I didn't want to add loads of things. <laughs> so I just added three things that they taught me. And you've got three line stanzas. Yeah, I quite like that. I, I like... Um, so the mo- mostly I was thinking about line breaks when I was putting it together once I'd got the the basics um, how it looks on the page and also that tension between the on the enjambment of mm-hmm. moving from one line to the other and making that surprising yes um and I was conscious of that, that, yeah. Uh, um, and then, of course, the last, the last verse, I was also conscious of the echoes of sounds because in free verse, obviously, you don't use rhyme to lead mm-hmm. you yeah. um, or meter. So it needs something to make it poetic. Um, And so I think in this, what makes this poetry rather than prose is the repetition and echoes of um, like assonance, the vowel sounds like Mm -hmm. insula, um, faster, daughter, um, taught me that goes back to that at the beginning. yeah, I think you have to be conscious when you're writing, if you're writing a poem, that even if it's in free verse, which actually follows it's more conversational and the way we speak, that you still need to make it into a poem. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just a bit of dialogue or a bit of a story. or um and then I think the last thing I look at, which is quite important to me, is how the poem actually looks on aesthetically on the page, mm-hmm. surrounded by the the white space. So I do sort of play around with that a little bit, kind of. That's probably why well you can't see it. Oh, you can see it, can't you, on the website? But the indentations, um, I liked the look of that. That's right. It's beautiful, isn't it? So if any, anyone's just listening, then Maggie's got three line stanzas and the, the middle line is indented. So it's almost like a kind of filigree effect down that left-hand border. And this is what I mean about the, you know, the delicacy of the appearance on the page. It's almost like lace work or, or something. And, then, and there's a wonderful contrast between that and, if you like, you know, the, the emotional pressure of the content. And you know, you're talking about what makes it poetic. I mean, for me, one of the things that really stands out in your poetry is is the way that 
individual words can bear so much examination, like, you know, the way we looked at sentience and insular and, you know, the metaphorical resonance very often of the, the objects. And so it, it was really interesting to me to hear you say you write it word by word. It, it does feel like that. It's not mm. like Wordsworth just chuntering on <laughs> with reams and reams of stuff and then just, just cutting, you know, cutting it off with scissors at the end. Mm. Um, it, it really does feel very considered and conscious the mm. way it's built up. And uh, hopefully that invites us to read it in a, in a considered and conscious mm. way. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I mean, I've got umpteen um, journals where I do just write, give my imagination free reign, and um, and I know quite a few poets, they use that for their poetry, but I don't often go back to them. I just hmm. write it, and sometimes yeah. I look through it, and I think, oh, actually, that's quite good. I could have made a poem out of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't consciously do that but maybe it just feeds into my imagination somewhere so it's not wasted I don't think um, and also I don't know perhaps that's just part of me the very digging away word by word and that was another thing my my mum used to say when I was a kid is she'd say um, God it's like trying to get blood from a stone getting me to say anything (laughs) (laughs) very complimentary my dad was a bit more poetic he used to say things like oh still waters run deep (laughs) right Um, okay okay that was a premonition that was more complimentary (laughs) yeah Um, so maybe it's something to it's just the way I am really I do don't find or maybe it's the expectation of writing something that someone's going to hopefully going to read or listen to kind of makes me take small painstaking to write it I think (laughs) whereas the journal stuff I don't think anyone's going to read that so I just I'm not so inhibited I guess writing that well thank you Maggie I for one I'm very glad you did take the pains to to make it repay consideration and um, so maybe this would be a good point for us to hear it again Sentience by Maggie Sawkins When I think about how I lose myself in the making of a meal, I begin to love my parents whose passing I did not mourn. Lately, I've pondered on the things they taught me, the safest way of separating the yolk from the white, how to call soup by blowing into the steam, why, if you put a lid on the pot, the water boils faster. I guess they loved me, their insular daughter. My orphan parents, you'll never know how I spent my childhood grieving. Sentience by Maggie Sawkins is from her collection The House Where Courage Lives, published by Waterloo Press. 
Maggie Sawkins grew up on a large housing estate north of Portsmouth, where she began writing poetry as a child. After returning to education, she gained an MA with distinction in creative writing. Since then, she has facilitated creative writing projects in community and healthcare settings, working with people from all walks of life, including prisoners, those affected by psychoactive substances, and most recently, the refugee and asylum seeker community in Portsmouth. Her live literature production, Zones of Avoidance, won the 2013 Ted Hughes Award for New Work in Poetry. The House Where Courage Lives is her latest collection. A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links as well as a full episode archive at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and visual identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.